love that song. That's my grandmother's favorite song, How Great Thou Art. What a mighty God we serve. I'd like if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 9. And we're going to look at a story uh, in the Bible that's a little bit different. About This is, uh, this is Noah's final act in, uh, in the book of Genesis. And some of you are already grinning because you know it's not Noah's finest hour. Uh, we're not sure exactly how much time has elapsed um, after they have disembarked. Uh, not sure. It may have been this story may have taken place decades after they uh, came off the ark. We don't know for sure. Um, <clears throat> but it, one thing we need to realize is that the Bible doesn't it doesn't whitewash the the sins of its heroes, and I'm glad it doesn't because it means there's hope for me <laughs> that I can. I can recover, you know, uh, a detour doesn't mean you're done for, so I'm glad that God didn't, you know, just completely sanitize and take away. Now, the flood dealt with a particular issue. If you remember Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, the Nephilim and all that stuff, if you haven't watched the sermon yet, I, I, I encourage you to go back and, and read that and to listen to it, but the flood dealt with a particular problem. But the flood did not get rid of sin, as we're going to see. And so uh, the title of my message today is New World, Same Problem. Uh, I've got a subtitle for this, too, and I think I like it even better. The title of it would be Somewhere After the Rainbow. Which one do you like better? I'll go with whichever one you want to go with. Uh, Somewhere After the Rainbow. I think that's the keeper there. Genesis chapter 9, are you there? All right. Verse 19, these are the three sons of Noah, and of them, excuse me, verse 18, the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. That's interesting, isn't it? That we would say Ham is the father of Canaan and not mention the other uh, sons, grandsons of Noah. Uh, and, and I think this will, this will become clear here in just a moment. This is not necessarily their birth order either. There's some uh, controversy con concerning which one is the oldest, which one's the youngest. Uh, uh, me personally, I don't think Shem is the firstborn. But he's listed first because he's the important one because he is the one through which the seed of the woman would come. He would be the line of the Messiah. So Shem receives the prominence uh, in the narrative. I tell you what, before I go any further, let me ask Preacher Larry if he will ask God's blessing upon the study of the word today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We brought us here today, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you pay attention to be receptive of your word as presented. Father, bless us today as we study from the Bible. We pray that you help us all to have an awesome approach to the Bible. Knowing that it's your word and it's your word that we need to hear. Father, we pray that you bless our pastors, bless our families. We pray that you provide for their needs. Lead us now, Lord, as we worship. We ask you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> Verse 19. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. Is that what your Bible says? So let's just get rid of racism altogether. Because everybody in this room comes from either Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Did you know that? How many of you are interested in genealogy and that kind of thing? Any, any, of, you? any of you done any ancestral research? It's interesting what you discover. But if you go far back enough, this is your history right here. This is where you came from. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter 17. Verse 
Verse 26. Acts 17, verse 26. Who wants to read that for me? James, you want to read that? says that God has made of how many bloods? One blood. There's one race, folks. It's the human race. Do you know the origins of racism really? It's, it's this theory of evolution. You get to look at Darwin's theory and stuff, you'll find out evolution is where all this racist garbage comes from. And, uh, and our world is inundated with racism. You know, and it, and it goes every way, every which way. I don't like the term reverse racism because that implies that racism is only one way. I believe that racism goes all the way around. If you hate your brother because of the color of their skin, then you're in sin. You're living in sin. And uh, that may not be popular, but that's the truth. And what we have all come from one family and one blood. All right, let's go back to Genesis chapter 9. Now, verse 20, it says, And Noah began to be a husbandman. The Hebrew is actually Ish Adamah, which means man of the soil. It's a play off Adam's name, which means earth. Uh, he's a man of the clay, man of the soil. What was Adam's occupation? He was a farmer too. Now, um, it, it begs the question, what did Noah do before he was a farmer? So I did some research and I found out I know exactly what Noah did before he was a farmer. He was an architect. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Feel free to use it. Or not. <laughs> um, but we don't know what he did before, the, before he was a farmer. But, but nevertheless, he may have been a woodworker. You know, I mean, he did build the ark, so he may have been a very skilled craftsman. We don't, we don't know for sure. But anyway, he became a farmer. And, and some people take up farming later in life, you know, and they decide that would be a good thing to do. There's no stress associated with farming, right? <laughs> okay. Pray for rain. We do need to pray for rain at the end of our service today. So whoever prays the benediction, we're going to get you to pray for some rain too, if you'll do that for us. All right, let's get to the good stuff. He planted a vineyard. So far, so good. Verse 21, And he drank of the wine, which in and of itself was not a sin, but he was drunk. That is the sin. And he was uncovered within his tent. This is the first uh, mention of wine. The Hebrew word is yain. This is the first mention of wine. In the Bible, and I think that's interesting that this is we're introduced to wine for the first time, and we see that the, the danger and the perils associated with alcohol abuse. I want to look at some uh, some scriptures this morning, so so bear with me. Go with me to Proverbs twenty. We have to be careful not to go beyond what Scripture teaches, but we also have to teach the Word of God responsibly. In biblical times, uh, they did drink wine, but they, they mingled it with water. It was, it was cut. Uh, so it wasn't like the, the triple distilled alcohol that you would buy in the liquor store now. now. Now, that's not saying you couldn't get drunk off of it, because absolutely no one did. Okay? But understand that some people want to use this story uh, or, or others to justify uh, social drinking or whatever. And, and again, I'm not going beyond what Scripture teaches. The Bible does not command uh, absence, but it does warn absolutely of the dangers of drunkenness. And uh, the easiest way not to ever get drunk is just not to drink at all. Um, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, and uh, James, I'm going to pick on you again. I'll tell you what, let me get you a microphone. That way everybody can hear you. Proverbs 
And don't get comfortable, folks, because next time I might hand you the microphone. <laughs> All right, James, will you read Proverbs 23 and tw start in verse 29 and read the rest of the chapter? Who have woe? Who have sorrow? Who have contentions? Who have battles? Who have wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth it his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eye shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I wake? I will seek it, I will seek it yet again. All right. Hang on to the microphone there. Um, th that describes it and if any of you have ever been drunk uh, you can relate to this and um, you know if you've never woke up in the morning and thought well, gosh what did I do last night this is exactly what, what the Bible describes you don't know and, and, and what happens is you wake up and you say well that was so much fun I don't remember it let's do it again <laughs> right I, you know, I'm amazed you know people go to concerts and stuff and ball games and they drink so much that they don't even remember what they've done and it's like, you know, you pay all that money for a ticket. How many of you have ever been beside a drunk person in an uh, athletic event or, or a concert or anything? Or maybe you were that person, you know. Uh, I remember very vividly one time I went to the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And uh, uh, this was back when Dale Earnhardt was, was alive. And it was, the, it was the race that his lug, they forgot to tighten his lug nuts. Anybody remember that race? And his wheel fell off or whatever. And I was there at Charlotte Motor Speedway. And I was beside this guy, and I declare he must have started drinking at least two days before he got there to the speedway. Because every time Dale Earnhardt went by, he yelled, All right, Dale! Go get him, Dale! Every time. And, and then when his lug nuts fell off, he commits to crying like you ain't never seen in your life. I mean, he just, he was bawling. And I thought, man. You gotta be kidding me! We paid all this money, and I gotta sit beside this clown, you know. And try, probably the next day, he didn't even know he had been at Speedway, you know. He'd been alive, but but anyway. <clears throat> Don't be that person. <laughs> Don't be that person. All right, let's get serious. First Corinthians chapter six. Will you go read this for me, James? First Corinthians six. Boy, Dale Earnhardt was the best, though. Racing just ain't been the same since he, he passed away. <laughs> That's, that was one dude you did not want to see in your rearview mirror, Dale Earnhardt. 1 Corinthians 6, James, if you'll read verses 9 and 10 for me. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. And then he goes on to say, and such were some of you. Thank God he says were. Thank God such were some of you. All right, um, let's go to Galatians now. Galatians 5. James, if you'll read verse 21 when you get there. Galatians 5, verse 21. Envyings, murders, 
wickedness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so it's serious business. You know, I'm, I'm injecting a little humor in here to try to help the medicine go down easier, but I mean, it's serious business, and, and it's not characteristic of, of righteousness. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, us believers. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Drunkenness is associated with darkness. Um, Habakkuk 2.15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makes him drunk also that you may look on their nakedness. Drunkenness and nakedness often go hand in hand. So it's interesting to me that the first time we're introduced to wine is this story here. And uh, Noah ends up uh, naked. And, and shame comes. And, and I don't have to tell you, you all have seen the statistics. And you know that many of the fatalities on the highway uh, are because of drunk driving. And usually the one who's drunk ends up surviving the accident. And the innocent party uh, is the one who gets killed. Violent crimes. You'll, if, you, if you were to go to prison right now and you were to interview some of these guys that have committed murder and other violent crimes, they will probably tell you they don't remember doing what they did because it happened uh, because of alcohol abuse and tempers flare. Domestic violence. Almost every time, not always, but almost every time there's domestic violence, you'll find out that 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 usually it's the man, not always, but usually you'll find out that that man's been drinking and he's got a hot temper and, uh, and the two don't, don't mix. They, they just don't mix. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not going to belabor the point, but, but anyway, uh, let's, let's go on. Let's, let's look some other. Uh, verse 21, he was drunken, and Scripture says he was uncovered within his tent, Genesis 10, Genesis 9, I'm sorry. Genesis 9, 21. Noah was drunk, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now, at least we can say that Noah was not publicly intoxicated, you know, he, and he probably didn't intend to get drunk. I don't know, but, but I'm not going to plead ignorance here. Some people say, well, he's, he's brand new at farming, and he didn't know what the, what the grapes would do. I don't think, let's don't be naive. And I'm not so naive as to say that this is the first person who ever got drunk. I mean, come on. Uh, there's probably, that was probably one of the sins that was prevalent in Genesis chapter 6. But this is the first mention of it, okay? And it's one of the heroes of the Bible. Uncovered within his tent. All right. Does anybody have a New American Standard Bible? Anybody? This morning. Okay, I'm going to read to you from the New American Standard, that same verse. It says, he drank of the wine and became drunk and uncovered himself inside his tent. The verb is reflexive, meaning that nobody uncovered Noah. Noah uncovered himself. Now, if any of you have ever uh, been intoxicated, don't raise your hand. <laughs> but, but you know it can create a false sense of warmth. And that's why you see these guys out at the football game in Buffalo or Green Bay, and it's, you know, it's 20 degrees below zero, and they don't have a shirt on, you know, and it's because they're feeling pretty good. Uh, they're, they're feeling nice and warm on the inside. And so more than likely, Noah got hot. He got drunk, and he got hot, and he took his robe off. And, and I point that out to you because there's four theories as to what happens here. Let's read the next few verses. And Ham... The father of Canaan, again, we're told he's the father of Canaan. That's a clue to us. That's the second time we've been told that Ham is the father of Canaan. Saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. Okay. There's four theories as to what happened here. Okay. I'm going to tell you the one I think is right. The first theory is the one the rabbis believe. They believe that Ham uh, castrated Noah when he was drunk. And that, that, that's why he didn't have any more sons after the, uh, after the flood. 
That's theory number one. Number two is that Ham slept with Noah's wife and possibly Cain was the offspring. Number three, theory number three, is that Cain committed, excuse me, that Ham committed a homosexual act. Okay? I don't believe that to be uh, a valid theory. I mean, Ham's married. He's got, he's got four kids. Um, and he, he got on the ark with, with Noah voluntarily. Um, the fourth theory, which I think is the proper one, is that he disrespected his father and the moral rectitude of his father was now destroyed. This is what I think. All right, let's talk about the Canaanites a little bit. Uh, James, I'm going to put you back to work. Genesis 15. And I'm going to show you why the commentaries, they, they lean into, into some of these theories. All right, Genesis 15, read verse 16 for me. 15, 16? Uh, Genesis 15, verse 16. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So God's telling Abraham that the Canaanites are wicked people. And they're going to drive them out, okay? And let's go to Leviticus now. Leviticus 18. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus 18. Now, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, this is not for the faint of heart. But I'll show you how, how the commentaries uh, arrive at these various theories. Leviticus 18. And James, I hate to do this to you, but I might have to read this chapter, right. and uh, I'll buy you lunch one day. Right. <laughs> the whole, the whole chapter. Go for it. All right, then. <laughs> and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, "Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. And after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein you dwelt." shall you not do and after the doings of the land of Canaan whither I bring you shall you not do neither shall you walk in their ordinances you shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein I am the Lord your God you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments which if a man do he shall live in them I am the Lord none of you shall approach any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness I am the Lord the nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt not thou shalt thou not uncover she is thy mother thou shalt not uncover her nakedness the nakedness of thy father's wife shalt, shalt not uncover it is thy father's nakedness the nakedness of thy sister the daughter of thy father or daughter of thy mother whether she is born at home or born abroad even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy son's daughter or of thy daughter's daughter even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover for theirs is thine own nakedness the nakedness of thy father's wife daughter begotten father she is thy sister thou shalt not uncover her nakedness thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's sister she is thy father's near kinswoman thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister for she is thy mother's near kinswoman thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's brother thou shalt not approach to his wife she is thine aunt. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy daughter-in-law. She is thy son's wife. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife. It is thy brother's nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. 
neither shalt thou take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness, for they are her near kinswomen. It is wickedness. Neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside the other in her own lifetime. Also, thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is put apart from her uncleanliness. uncleanness. Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Moloch, neither shalt thou profane the name of God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all of these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. I'll give you a break there, James. Thank you. Notice that last part that he just read in verse 24. Notice he says, in all these, in all these, that means the Canaanites were doing all this stuff. You ever wonder why God commanded Joshua not, you know, don't have any pity on these guys? Don't spare anything? They were incest of all degrees, uh, adultery, homosexuality, child sacrifice, which we now call uh, woman's reproductive rights, but it's the same thing, uh, abortion, and bestiality. You ever wonder why all these terrible diseases, plagues, you know, come into the world? It's because people have gone against God's design. And that's why you've got these, and I think as time goes on, there's going to be more and more weird diseases, more animal-born kind of things that there's no vaccines for. And, uh, and you're just seeing the, the precursor of this stuff. All right. So the commentators will read back into this. You know, and, and notice when James was reading, it talked about uncovering so-and-so's nakedness. And the commentators read back and they say, okay, well, Ham uncovered the nakedness of his father. But the text actually says that Noah uncovered himself. It was not, a, that's why I wanted you to read that. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 9. James, you're a trooper. Verse 22, it says that Ham saw. Is that what your Bible says? He didn't uncover nakedness of Noah. His sin was that he saw. The Hebrew literally means to look with glee, not with lust but to look with delight. And what else did he do? He saw and he told. Those were his two sins. He saw and he told. That was it. Okay. Now I know some of you are thinking, well gosh, that's no big deal. Uh, what's the big deal? Noah's drunk in his own tent and he sees his dad. I mean, after all, probably most of us have seen our parents. Uh, and I know that's a sick thought, isn't it? But most of us have probably seen our parents as not, you know, by some accident, you know, when you're a little kid or whatever. And you think, what's the big deal here? Well, the big deal is that Noah, uh, that his, his son is looking with delight. Now, the next time, uh, another time that it's, it's used of seeing is when uh, Lot's wife looked back. She looked back towards Sodom. And what happened to her? Remember? Turned to a pillar of salt. I'm going to read you what Dr. Henry Morris says about this. Ham's actions expressed a long hidden resentment of his father's authority and moral rectitude. There was apparently a carnal and rebellious bent to Ham's nature. 
thus far restrained by the spiritual strength and patriarchal authority of his father. Now, however, beholding the evidence of his father's human weakness before his very eyes, he rejoiced, no doubt feeling a sense of release from all the inhibitions which he had until now suppressed his own desires and ambitions. Thinking his brothers would share in his satisfaction, he hastened to find them and tell them. The Hebrew literally means he told with delight. And I know some Christians like that. They like nothing more than to find somebody in sin and, and to know that they've fallen because it makes them feel better about themselves. Be very careful how you deal with the fallen. Be very careful how you deal with the fallen. Now, another reason I believe that, that the, only, the only sin was in seeing and telling is because otherwise the next verse makes absolutely no sense. It says that Shem and Japheth, what did they do? They took a garment and they, they walked backwards. And what did they not do? They didn't see, right? So Ham's sin was that he saw, but they made it a point not to see. So that's how I know there's nothing more to it than this. Otherwise, there's no reason for them to back in, you know. If some, if some egregious thing has happened, uh, some sexual impropriety, then them backing in there makes no sense. And the text emphasizes the fact that they did not look on their father, and they certainly didn't look with glee. Now, um, verse 24, it says, Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And that's where the commentators run wild. They say, see... The, the son did something to him. Well, he did. He shamed his father. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Now, that's interesting. Who's the one that looked on Noah's nakedness? Was it Canaan? It was Ham, right? By the way, in all of our story about Noah, this is, this is our final story about Noah here. You know, this is the first time he talks. This is the first time he said anything in the whole narrative. Go back and look. Noah doesn't talk until now. And he says, Cursed be Canaan. And I know some of you are thinking, again, well, gosh, what's the big deal here? Um, all he did was look at his father's nakedness and tell his brothers. Uh, and, and I think one reason is we're so desensitized to two things. Number one, nakedness. We live in a culture of, of nakedness. Skin is in. All the advertisements, all the television commercials, all the movies, the TV shows, dramas, everything uh, promotes nudity. Everything we see. And, and the, the marketers have found that out, that sex sells. And so the, we're so desensitized to it that we do. We say, well, no big deal. But, but there's another thing here, and I see it as symptomatic of the last days in particular, but we live in a generation where children do not honor their parents. If you look at the movies, and especially the sitcoms, well, I don't, I don't watch them, but if you look at, at all the sitcoms, if you'll notice, the kid is always a genius and the parents are idiots. Always. Especially the father. The father's always a bumbling idiot, you know, and he's, he's stupid. And that's, that's by design, folks. Uh, there's an attack against the family. In the Ten Commandments, the, those first few commandments are Godward, right? Have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The first commandment that's not Godward is honor your father and mother. That's interesting to me. That's interesting. In the, in the order, that's the first thing that God says as far as treating people. The first priority is that you are to honor your mother and father. And he says it's the first commandment with a promise. And he says if you do that, your days will be long upon the earth, uh, the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So do you want to live a long, healthy life? Well, you can eat bran muffins and, and eat a, a high-fiber, low-sugar diet and that kind of thing. But... How about we honor our mother and father? That's easy. That's, that's, just, that's easy, right? And it's the first commandment with promise of a long life. Well, 
something you might not realize is that to dishonor your mother and father in the Old Testament was a capital crime. That means you could be killed for that, to dishonor your mother and father. So let's, let's not uh, minimize this. Now, why was Canaan cursed? Maybe Canaan was involved. Maybe, he, maybe he's the one that saw it first and went and told his dad. I don't know. We don't know. Um, what we do know, maybe it's the principle of sowing and reaping. Um, as, as, as Noah's youngest son, Ham, disrespected him, then Ham's youngest son, which we believe uh, is Canaan, one of his four sons, the youngest, he would, dis uh, he would dishonor uh, Ham. Uh, we have to remember this, though, that Genesis was written by Moses to folks that are going into the land of promise. And they're going to be given a mandate to destroy the Canaanites. Okay? And so what we see here in Ham is magnified in the descendants of Ham, uh, the Canaanites. All right, I'm going to get you one more scripture, James. Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from thee before, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me into the into possess this land but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord doth drive them out from before thee not for thine righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart must thou go to possess their land but for the wickedness of these nations the Lord thy God doth drive them out for before thee, from before thee and, and that he may perform the word which the Lord sware unto thy fathers all right, thank you. So God is telling the children of Israel as they're going into this land flowing with milk and honey, I don't want you to think that you're going in here because you deserve it. He said, as a matter of fact, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with my covenant faithfulness to Abraham. And it is the wickedness of the Canaanites that vomited them out. Okay? So why is that significant for us? Well, as America continues down this moral uh, decline, uh, how are we any different when we do the same things the Canaanites did? Uh, how can we expect to uh, escape the judgment of God? Uh, I don't know. All right, back to Genesis 9. We're, we're finishing up here. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And some people have used this as a, a, a proof text to, to justify slavery. Uh, and and this is not a, uh, a proof text for slavery. And, and just to go on the record here, the Canaanites were not black people. They were olive-skinned. They, they were not black people. So anybody that would try to use this as justification for slavery, you're, you're, you're not standing on solid footing there. But, but notice he says, blessed be, verse 26, blessed be the Lord. Is, is that capital letters, all capital letters in your Bible? That's Jehovah, right? That's the covenant name for God, Yahweh. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Notice he didn't say blessed be Shem, but he said blessed be the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, of Shem. Blessed be, and it, and it indicates here that Jehovah is Shem's God. Shem and the Lord have a relationship with one another. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Verse 27, God shall enlarge Japheth. This is a play on words, too. This is a pun because his name means expansion or enlargement, uh, Japheth. Um, ham means hot or warm. Shem in Hebrew means name. It's where we get the term Semite from. Anti-Semitism is an, you know, anti-Jewish rhetoric. Shem means name. And through Shem's line will be the one who has a name above every name. At the name of Yeshua, Jesus, every knee shall bow. So interesting that the name comes through Shem. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. 
Uh, God shall enlarge Japheth. Most of us here in this room, there may be some exceptions, but most of us here in this room are probably descendants of Japheth. Those were the, uh, the European people. Um, and uh, so that would be most of us here in this room would, would trace our ancestry to Japheth. Some of you would, be trans, uh, would go back to, to Ham, uh, but don't, don't get nervous uh, and think, well, I couldn't be saved because I'm a descendant of Ham. No. Um, there are individuals from the tribe, of, uh, from, the, uh, from Ham's line that were, you know, Christians and godly people. The American Indians, by the way, Native American Indians descended from Ham. Anybody got any Indian blood in you? Can you still say Indian? I'm an Indian, you know, and I don't get offended by the Atlanta Braves or the, what's the Cleveland call themselves now? They're not the Indians anymore. Native Americans, but uh, Cleveland Indians changed their name. We, yeah. Commanders or guardians or something? Okay. Oh, that's Washington Redskins, right? I'm an Indian. It doesn't offend me the least little bit. You know, I know how to separate fact from fiction, you know. But anyway, Native American Indians came from, from Ham. Uh, Japheth is enlarged. And it says, Japheth shall dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, that doesn't mean they live together. But that means they have fellowship with one another. In the Psalms, it talks about dwelling in the tents of the wicked. That means not having fellowship with wicked people. So the Shemites and the Japhethites are going to be, uh, have fellowship one with another. And Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. And all the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. Wow. So let me give you some... Uh, perspective here he stopped just short of Jared and Methuselah but he lived a long time if there's no gaps in the genealogies of Genesis 11 think about this folks that means that Noah lived until Abraham was 58 years old that's pretty interesting that Noah was alive Shem lived well into the time of Abraham now, these guys knew, probably knew each other uh, I don't know Quickly, let's look, at some, uh, let's look at some types or shadows of how Noah and Adam have some similarities because the, 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 the comparisons are striking when you think about it. Both of them, both Adam and Noah, emerge from water chaos into a new world. They're both told to multiply and fill the earth. They both are. Uh, both have dominion over the animals. God brings the animals to Adam to name them. God brings the animals to Noah to put on the ark. Each of them sinned by fruit. Adam took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Noah became drunk from the fruit of the vine. As a result of, of taking the fruit, both of them become naked. Adam is naked. Noah is naked. Um, each one of them then is covered by someone else God covered Adam and in Noah's case Shem and Japheth cover him each of them have a son that sinned in an egregious way Cain committed murder and now Ham curses his, uh, brings the curse upon uh, Canaan each of them have three named sons Adam had many more but there's three named sons uh, Adam has Seth and Cain and Abel. Noah has uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, finally, last, last one, which I think is, is interesting. After each sin, there's a curse and a prophecy given, a messianic uh, prophecy. But one thing's for sure, the world is still in need of a Savior. That's, that's the moral of the story. So what's the application? Let's, let's go through this really quickly, guys, but, but let's don't miss the point. Number one, there's nobody on earth that is without sin. Noah is singled out in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 14, 14. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. God says, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. So in the mind of God... Noah is one of the most righteous people that ever lived. That's, that's amazing. But even so, Noah was not without sin. Number two, Noah's fall did not happen in a time of crisis. After the storm was over, 
That's when Noah sinned. And you and I sometimes are most susceptible when everything's going well. You know, when, when stuff's amok, we're praying. We're seeking God. But sometimes when the storm is over, that's when we're the most vulnerable. Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Number three, we see the dangers associated with alcohol abuse. Number four, we see the proper and improper response to a brother's failure. When you see someone sin, is your first response to get on the phone and tell everybody you know? Or is it to pray for this person and to help them, restore them? Now, I don't mean cover up, you know, I'm not talking about covering up sin for somebody. I'm not talking about being an accessory to a crime here. But I'm saying, what is your response? Is it brokenness? Or when somebody falls, do you take delight? You say, I always knew that they were not the real deal. They, they, I always thought they were hypocrite. We all sin. The next one, and this is important. We see the devastating consequences of sin for future, de for future generations. Okay? That one's sin has a, a, a spiraling effect. Ham's sin didn't happen in a vacuum. It affected his descendants. And we see how the sin is magnified, too. What was in Ham, to one degree, look at what the Canaanites were doing, Leviticus 18. You'll never forget that chapter, will you, James? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to do that to you. Um, we also see how quickly our testimony can be destroyed. Yeah. Noah, think, think about Noah. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the pedestal the people probably had Noah on? I mean, he's the guy. He's the leader of the new world. My goodness. Here he is. He's the one that built the ark. What a story he's got. He's got a testimony like nobody on planet Earth. And yet, this is the last chapter in his story on Earth. You know, It takes a long time to build trust, but it can be gone in just a moment. And I'm reminded of that all the time, you know. Satan will come to you, and he'll make you think, well, you can just do this. Nobody will know. And, and, and I'm sure Noah had no intention of Ham showing up at his tent that night. I'm sure he didn't. He thought, what's the harm? You know, it's, just, it's just me. Uh, it's been a long week. Uh, and I'm sure he justified it, but not, not realizing the consequences. We also see that the flood did not cure the sin problem. How do we know this? Well, because Noah still died. The Bible says that Noah lived, but then he died. We see that the effects of the curse of sin and death are still very much in effect, and we see our need for a Messiah. But one quick word before I give the invitation here. Maybe you are, maybe you're in Noah's shoes, and I may be speaking to somebody watching this this morning or somebody that's listening after the fact. But this morning, God wanted, this is not in my outline, but God wanted me to share this this morning. Maybe you have had some fall, and it may not be, it may not be public, but whatever it is, it's got you wallowing in the dirt, thinking God will never use me again, thinking that there's no coming back from whatever it is you've done. I want to tell you, even though this story is recorded as the last story on Noah's earthly life, History does not remember Noah for this incident. You get to the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews says, By faith, Noah moved with fear, built an ark to the saving of his household, and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith. History remembers Noah not as a man who had a, a moment of indiscretion, but history rem remembers Noah as a man of faith. So I want to tell you, if you have has some fall in your life and I don't care how big or how small don't you think for a moment that God can't use you again don't you think that God can't raise you up don't you think that God can't restore you you see when God restores you uh, you think about the story of the prodigal son when he finally came to his senses you know I'm sure he was embarrassed about living in the pig pen but when he finally came back the father didn't say okay you go sleep outside in the barn somewhere no he put a robe on him and a ring on his finger, his shoes on his feet, and he killed the fatted calf. And when God restores you, he doesn't restore you as a second-class Christian. He restores you back to fellowship with him. 
He's the God of new beginnings. Hallelujah. A detour doesn't mean you're done for. Would you stand? Noah. In the mind of God, Noah is one of the most impeccable people who ever lived. And yet, he still needed a Messiah to save his soul. You may be here today thinking, gosh, I've never done anything like that. I've never gotten drunk. I've never murdered anybody. I've never dishonored my mother and my father. I've kept all the laws that I can think of. I've kept all the Ten Commandments. You really haven't, but, but you might think that you have. I'm a good person. Let me tell you what. Your good works will send you straight to hell if that's what you're trusting to get you to heaven. Noah, even though he was a righteous man, the Bible says he was blameless. Even though Noah was blameless, he still had a sin nature. He still needed to be saved. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one of us in this room is without sin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross. He died for you and for me on that cross. He took upon himself the sin of the whole world. That's what the Bible says. God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That means today that if you will trust in Jesus Christ, believing with all of your heart that he died for your sins on that cross, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day and ascended back to the Father, if you will accept that by faith and repent of your sin, that means turn and change your mind. If you'll do that today, the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Without exception. That whosoever is a broad, broad invitation there. Anybody that has a desire to be saved, you can be saved. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know this? I know this because the only way you can come to Christ is if the Holy Spirit draws you. So the fact that you have a desire to come to God, the fact that you have a desire to be forgiven of your sin, shows you that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. Even now, I believe it. I believe even now He's working in hearts and minds. Don't resist Him. He may never come this way again. But He's come for you today to say, if you'll trust Him, you can be saved. And if you have had a setback, today is the day for you to have a comeback. All you got to do is come to this altar and say, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me of my sins. Put me back on the right path and he'll do that. Would you come?